Okay, so here we are again. Uh, our next study in the book of Ephesians. We're studying the book of Ephesians in a month of lunches. So if you have a, you know, 15 minutes or so to sit down with a cup of coffee or with your lunch and put on your phone or your your computer or whatever else and just sit down, we're going to go through the book of Ephesians together and really just uh, get some gems, some hidden gems from his word. All right. So let's start out in Ephesians chapter 2 right away. And I apologize last time if the lighting's a little different. I forgot to turn on all the lighting there, but yeah, we just went with it, okay? So now we're into uh, <coughs> Ephesians 2, starting in uh, and the first 10 verses are really starting to talk about uh, how salvation is a work of God that we, have, we were powerless to do anything about. And it goes on from there. So... Starting verse 1, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. So uh, chapter 2 begins with kind of like a coroner's report, you know. Every person that is not saved is spiritually dead, every one. Um, that means they have absence of any communication to the living. And in this case, we're talking about spiritually alive. They have no way to communicate with God or understand anything spiritual. Um, that's why they have so many counterfeits like spiritualist mentalism and ghosts, everything else. Because they cannot connect to God, but yet something inside of them yearns for the eternal and connecting with something greater than themselves. And so they find these counterfeits. And we realize that uh, it says that disobedience and sins, that's basically the name of the graveyard we're in, right? Sin was the cause of our death and separation with God. And uh, this calls back to our state before we were saved. In verse 2, uh, it says, You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil. That's kind of scary uh, because saying you're obeying the devil is your default position. Just understand that. Without Christ, you def by default, whether you're willing to or not, you are under his rule and obeying, obeying the course that he has called out. So it says, you're just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of, in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, that term, you can look back uh, to Romans 1, and it talks about the condition of people. It says that everyone uh, naturally knows there is a creator because we can look at the creator world around us. We look at everything and know, okay, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to know that there's a creator. Matter of fact, a lot of rocket scientists have to suppress that truth and become atheists to believe otherwise. Um, they believe in evolution when the Bible clearly points to de-evolution. We get worse and worse as time goes on, not better and better and more and more moral. Uh, but that's a different study. But it's, uh, we're under Satan's command and control. There is uh, no decision about Jesus is a decision, in other words. Uh, the unseen world is led by Satan, and it controls the lost and the carnal, and even the carnal Christian. Uh, and the unseen world around us is just going by that. We kind of see how the Spirit has has uh, a way of controlling things around us. If you look, um, the media is allowed, and that, when I say the media, social media, but also just programs we watch entertain us, whether they're movies or shows or whatever else, uh, you can make fun of... You can't make fun of anybody or it's offensive except for usually Christians, um, maybe Jews. Um, and matter of fact, if you try to um, speak about those things, it can get you canceled. It can get you ostracized. They, they basically hate what is evil and love 
sorry, hate what is good and love what is evil. Um, they celebrate things they should condemn and they condemn things they should celebrate. Uh, it says they refuse to obey God. And so that when that, talking about that Romans, that natural revelation, when we reject that natural truth that comes from us, we don't have much truth to go on outside of God, but we at least understand there's a creator. If we reject even that and basic good and evil, because we want to do something that we want to do and we don't like being told we can or something, we start pushing that truth down. Kind of like holding a volleyball or a beach ball down underwater. It wants to rise up, but we're just pressing and pressing. And eventually we press on it hard enough that we pop the ball and it just no longer pushes up. And it just, it's, it heart, we're dead to it. Uh, that's a scary way to be. Uh, but rejecting natural uh, revelation uh, results in, in depraved behavior. You go from suppressing truth to being hardened to truth to actually celebrating things that you used to think were bad, but you kind of didn't want to acknowledge. It now becomes things that your champion others do as well. It's just a really ugly cycle. But then verse 3, it says, All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Uh, we get a glimpse of a sinner's state by remembering our state before Jesus. Uh, there are three things. We talked about the graveyard that we were in. Three things basically put us in a coffin and locked us in there. Uh, the ways of the world. Uh, you know, it's almost like we understand peer pressure as we're teenagers. There's also pressure from the world to conform to its image. You know, we know in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Actually, just verse 1 there. That word conformed is, uh, don't be transformed to the world. Or sorry, don't be conformed means don't be squeezed into the mold of this world. The world wants to squeeze you into its mold. And God says that we need to be transformed from that and be squeezed into uh, and be into basically breaking that mold and being in the mold that Christ created for us, which we'll get into really shortly here. Um, but it, basically the, the ways of the world, the, the pressure of the world is one of the ways that we become locked in that graveyard. Also the devil himself is one of the things that have us locked in our coffins there. And then our fleshly nature and desires. We have a carnal nature that we, we want uh, think of think of the word carnal or fleshly, your five physical senses. And um, we have a, you know, we, we naturally have, without God, a desire for what is forbidden. Uh, desires of the flesh, wishes of the mind, whatever you want to call them. And it basically leaves our state dead like we're zombies, spiritually unable to respond to God. Whether you're pretty or smart, uh, whether you're rich poor. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, it won't fix your situation. It's basically whether you're a more a seemingly good person or a worse person in the gutter, there's just different levels of decay, but you're not more dead than, you know, there's not different levels of dead. This isn't the princess bride. You're either, if you're either spiritually alive or spiritually dead. And if you're dead, you're on an even, even playing field with everybody else. So um, we were left in a, basically in a position where we're dead, we're unclean, we're repulsive to God. It'd be like we have tar in our hand and we try to clean the tar in one hand with tar in the other hand, right together. We just make a bigger, 
mess of the same kind. Uh, but dead people can't have anything of value to commend toward God to say, hey, I'm, I'm worthy of you to do something for me. There's just nothing we can offer to God. Um, but God is where the chapter, uh, verse 4 hat starts. It says, verse 4, two words, but God. That right there pivots everything. God can radically and fundamentally alter the course of somebody's life by, first of all, bringing them to life, right? But it says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. But God, God has a wealth of mercy. And what is that mercy in a way we might see it in Jesus's life? It came out as compassion. There are two things we saw move Jesus a lot. One was faith, right? Faith is what moved him. Miracles happened by people's faith. But the other is sometimes when people didn't have any ability, Jesus would to, to do anything or extend faith, Jesus looked at him and was moved with compassion. That's mercy. And that's that's a that's that's a way that the love of God is transferred toward us. Without his mercy and his love for us, we couldn't respond to salvation. The Bible's clear. We love him because he first loved us. Um we receive salvation, and that brings us into a new state. We were formerly dead. We could not bring ourselves to life. We needed when you, when you're over there at a, at, a, at a funeral, and you're looking down on someone. You don't have to worry about talking about that person and saying something that might offend them anymore because they're not there. Well, the same thing is true. Um, there's nothing they can do to enter into a conversation or to engage with you, it would take some uh, something more powerful and outside of themselves to act on them to bring them back to life. That's our condition with God before we have Jesus come into our hearts is uh, we're dead and we have no chance of any or any hope of being brought to life unless something outside of ourselves more powerful than us comes in and resuscitates and, and brings us back to life. Um, so says that even though verse 5 even though we were dead because of because of our sins he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead it is only by grace that you have been saved so that's a mouthful right there but we respond to God's love and compassion by taking a step of faith um again he's the one who gave us love and compassion he also says really clearly that he's the one who gives us a measure of faith we couldn't even respond in faith if he didn't give us that all this is stuff that he's given us to use. You know, I, I enlisted in the military and they gave me my uniform. They gave me my boots. They Then they told me where to go. And then when I went to where I needed to go, they would bring out the weapon I would need to use. And they would give me the ammo for that weapon. I just, I didn't provide anything of value myself uh, going into that as far as what I needed. You know, they didn't say, okay... When you get here, you need to make sure you have uh, you have your uniform and just make sure you have this. They didn't say any of that. You came there and then you were equipped. Um, so this is where God is starting this process here is he gives us everything we have, except the difference being is I still at least was alive and had a willing body. We didn't even have that when it comes to God. <clears throat> so um believing that god loves us and will forgive us from jesus is is him giving us hope and comp uh, that his compassion and his love are real and we respond in faith and that faith is asking for salvation asking for him to save us um 
And even that was given to us, that measure of faith. But then we get saved as a gift to God. We're saved through faith, saved, saved by grace through faith. It's a, and then we see that that grace. So if you think of mercy, we hear as, as uh, not getting what we do deserve. But then we also hear of grace as getting what we don't deserve. And grace is a gift to God. Salvation, we certainly don't deserve that. And so grace makes Christianity different than any, any other religion. It's not what you must do, but it's what's done. It's what God did for you. Verse 6, it says, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So not only are we brought to life, then we're taken out of the graveyard. And we're seated with him in heavenly places. Now that happened to him physically. He was physically raised from dead. We're spiritually raised from dead. He was physically taken to heaven at the right hand of God. We're spiritually taken to the heaven, joining him at the right hand of God. Um, because we're united with, with Christ is the last part of it says. Um, and again, that dunamis power for salvation gives us access to the wealth and riches. Power to you, His power to use them as power to walk in victory over the spiritual forces that oppose us. Unity with Christ gives us continual access to these things. Now, when we first get saved, we don't know or really even care a whole lot about that. We're just happy to be alive, happy to be united. Uh, we're looking forward uh, to greater things, but that comes after. So in verse 7, it says, now it says, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. We are looking forward, first of all, to the rapture and to eternity. Keeping our eyes on eternity keep us, keeps us focused on it. I like uh, Jonathan Edwards was quoted saying, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Imagine if everything you looked and saw, you thought it, saw it in light of eternity. It would make what you do on this earth a lot more impactful because it's not based on what the last few years of your life will look like or what you look like to, to these people and how respectable you are to those people. It's about what impact is this making to eternity and, to, and how am I affecting the things of eternity? But that being said... Um, we are his inheritance, like we talked about earlier. He receives glory from the finished work of Christ manifested in our lives. We're examples of the wealth of his grace and his kindness. He can say, look at that. Kind of how Satan was bragging on Job. If you considered my servant Job, he'll look at it. We can point to our lives. If you considered what they were before me, and not only that, we can look at what he's done in past lives. Why do you think autobiographies of saints who have gone on, like George Mueller and, and, and people like that, Jonathan Edwards, who I just mentioned, are so powerful and can encourage our faith? Is because we see the power of God in their lives. The Apostle Paul. Peter. Look at Peter before the cross and after the day of Pentecost. And it seems like two different people. That's Jesus in him. That's not Peter in him. Peter and him got in the way. Peter was born with a silver foot in his mouth. God got rid of Peter and brought the work of Jesus into him and made Peter a new creation. And then the real purpose of Peter came about in such a powerful way. So we know God's not a respecter of persons. Um, if we're united with Christ, um, we have access to all these things. And we, as a Christian, it just takes an act of faith, calling out to God, believing what he said, 
about what Jesus did and how that affects our relationship with him. We can cry out to him when he gives us that hope. We can respond and it brings spiritual life to us. We are united with him at that point in time. That is the starting point. And we're going to start uh, building on that tomorrow.